But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How could you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Hey there, it's great to be with you, to share God's word with you today. My name is Charles, I'm one of the pastors at King's and as a pastor I often hear people come to me and say something like Alice said, what does God want me to do? This is a really great question and comes from a desire to want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. It also comes from a real conviction that being a Christian can't just be about rocking up on a Sunday however good that might be, but it involves a completely new way of living. Well, the good news today is that we're about to find out the answer to that question. There's no need to look any further than the word of God, because God has spoken through his word and made it clear what kingdom living looks like. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 26, and we saw that large crowds are gathering to hear Jesus and be healed. Andy Floyd helped us to see that people are gathering because they're particularly drawn to Jesus because of his healing power. And why wouldn't you? 
It'd be great. It'd be awesome to see power like that. But in verse 27, Jesus turns his attention to those who are really listening and who are ready to take him seriously. There's lots that he wants to tell them. He wants to talk to them about loving their enemies, giving to others, not judging, but forgiving others. But the big idea, the thing that is front and centre of everything else, the thing that everything else flows from, is in verse 36. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. That's it. That is it. The central characteristic of kingdom living is mercy. By definition, mercy is when compassion or forgiveness is shown to someone who doesn't deserve it. And God is the father of mercy. He's continually showing compassion and forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. So to state the obvious, if we're going to follow God and demonstrate his kingdom to others, we must first begin by understanding what he is like. As Alice also says in her interview, it begins with an intimate relationship with a person. So have you and I fully understood what God is like, how merciful he is? Have we really understood that? As I was preparing, I had to stop and consider just how merciful God has been to me. I put my trust in Jesus for the very first time when I was just 13 years old. I was self-centred, I was living my life my own way, doing my own thing, pretty much as all teenagers do, right? I was a complete wreck. I had to rely on God's love and mercy. I was completely helpless, completely aimless, completely lost. I didn't deserve God's mercy, but he gave it to me anyway. Through no merit of my own, God chose to fill me with the Holy Spirit. He woke me up to realise I was in an utter state of need and in need of saving. I was blind, then suddenly I could see. Jesus gave me saving faith, forgave me for all my sin, adopted me into his family and gave me assurance and new life in him. Of course, it's not been a straight path. I've made terrible choices, particularly in my teenage years, but I've never been the same since God came into my life. God, of course, is still showing me mercy today. He's filling me with his spirit continually, equipping me to make good choices, enabling me by his power to be faithful. My life really would be a train wreck without him. I'm still a sinful, fallen human being. Just ask my wife, okay? She will tell you. Just ask her. And of course, I haven't arrived, but I'm continually being renewed and continually being made more like Jesus. Amen? We praise God for the mercy of God. And I'm assured that I'm going to be with him forever. My past, my present, my future sins have been forgiven. How merciful is he? I'm going to be with him forever. It's important that we continually remind one another of God's mercy. So just stop and think for a minute how God has shown his mercy and his compassion toward you. Not just in saving you, if you're a Christian today, but how he continually provides for our needs. From the very breath in our lungs to the very clothes on our backs. Dane Ortland, the author of the great book, Gentle and Lonely, says this. What should come into our mind when we think about God? The triune God is free in one, a fountain of endless mercies, extending to, meeting and overflowingly providing for us in all our many needs and failures and wanderings. This is who he is. Remember that. He is the father of mercies. 
Today we're going to see lots of imperatives, things that we do because of the mercy we have received. But this is where it all starts. God's mercy is boundless. He keeps giving and giving and giving. And you see, the kingdom life is a life full of mercy. And we can't live a life of mercy until we understand the depth of God's love for us. It's only then, you know, when we align our own hearts with that of God's heart, that we begin to live the life of mercy in his kingdom. So what then does it look like to live the kingdom life? After exploring three ways you can live the kingdom life in verses 27 to 34, you'll notice in verse 35 that Jesus states them clearly and also gives us a motivation for doing so. Let's have a look at verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. What are the three practical ways of living the kingdom life that flow from God's mercy? I've called them three things. Love your enemies, do good, and be generous. Firstly, love your enemies. You'll find what Jesus says here utterly extraordinary and scandalous. And so would have Jesus' followers, those who first heard this message. The disciples knew too well who their enemies were. They would have seen them every single day. They were the people that cursed them for undermining Jewish traditions. They were the people who hated them for leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. They were the ones who insulted them because of their weakness and humility. They were the ones who persecuted them for being revolutionaries. And we can't also forget the political enemy of Rome. Yet Jesus says the only way to overcome the enemy is to love them. You know, to the normal human being like me and you, this sounds ridiculous. It's beyond us. It's just crazy to even conceive. It cuts right across what we think we should do. But Jesus calls his followers to love their enemies in the same way that they love their families. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, no sacrifice which a lover would make for his beloved is too great for us to make for our enemy. Just think about that for a moment. No sacrifice which a lover would make for his beloved is too great for us to make for our enemy. Just think about all the things that we do to love and serve our biological family. We're to love our enemies in the same way, Jesus says. But you might say, well, who are our enemies? I haven't got any enemies. Who are they? Well, Luke has already described the people he's referring to in Luke chapter 6, verse 22. He's made it clear that by enemies, he's referring to people who don't yet know Jesus. People who are outside the community of faith. People who are hostile to Christianity. And Jesus teaching his disciples and us today to love those who don't know Jesus and those who are against the faith in the same way that we love our family and our church family. You know, during this pandemic, it's been amazing to see the outstanding work that the Jericho Road Project have done to show mercy, compassion and love to our local community. The food they've been giving out, the boxes they've been giving out, it's just tremendous. It's amazing how people involved in that project have served the local community in an amazing, amazing way. But as a people, as a body, it's not enough to say, oh, well, that department over there, they've got it all sorted out. 
It's not enough to say, well, you know, our, our church is doing this, so I'm okay, and somehow abdicate our own personal responsibility. There is a personal responsibility on every single one of us to consider the ways in which we show love and mercy to people who don't yet know Jesus. You know, Jesus intended his people to be known as those who lavish their enemies with generosity and love. Let's be those people. Love your enemies. Secondly, do good. You see that Jesus develops his idea of loving our enemies by telling us to do good to them. And it's very, very practical. It includes blessing them, praying for them, offering someone a second cheek, and if they take your shirt off you, to also give them a coat as well. I mean, just imagine that. Just giving, giving, giving. And this is a complete inversion of the world order. You know, if someone hurts you in the street, if someone steals from you, conventional wisdom would be to get revenge. You can't let them do that. Let's get them back. But not with Jesus. His people are to be different. You know, during my time as a pastor, I've had lots of conversations with people about the concept of discipleship. How do we follow Jesus? And these conversations often come about by someone coming to me and saying, I want to be serious about following Jesus. I want to grow in my faith. So what do I do? What do I do? And I love these conversations, by the way. It shows that the person I'm speaking to has the right kind of desire to want to grow in their faith. And usually... I would say that we answer that in the, in the usual ways. We talk about uh, Bible study, prayer, maybe doing a theological course, all which are really, really good things, I have to say. But in my conversations, in my dealings with people, I have to confess that I don't think I've answered it in the best way. I have to confess that. You know, those things, Bible reading, prayer, theological courses, they're all really good things. And of course, reading the Bible is really important in how we grow. Faith and obedience comes from hearing the very word of God. So clearly I'm not saying don't read your Bible and don't pray. I'm not saying that. You'll be pleased to know. But it's only the very first part of the story. In many ways, there's no good hearing the word and then doing nothing about it. Hearing the word must then lead to action. And so in future, I suspect that when someone asks me that question, how do I grow in my faith? I think I'm probably going to respond by saying one of the following. I'm probably going to say something like, well, have you tried giving away some of your money to someone who doesn't like you? Or have you tried showing hospitality to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? Or have you tried sharing your faith with someone recently? Or to someone might even say, have you invited someone to come and live with you who doesn't have a place to stay? <laughs> I'm not too sure what reaction I'm going to get, to be honest. But all those ways, any one of them would help us grow in our faith. Every single one of them requires a step of faith. And every single one of them is more in line with what Jesus is teaching here. You see, the life of the kingdom is about doing good to those who don't deserve it. Love your enemies. Do good. Thirdly, be generous. As if what we haven't heard is, is challenging enough. Jesus says in verse 30, to give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. He goes on to say in verse 35, to lend to others without expecting to get anything back. In other words, be generous. Be generous and don't have any 
debtors. Over the years, I can remember many people being generous towards me. When my wife, uh, Amy, and I joined King's Church London like eight years ago, a lady in the church found out that we didn't have a car. And so she literally gave us her car for a whole year. And she didn't expect anything back. She literally just said, here you go, enjoy it. It's all God's anyway. Amazing. It was a huge blessing to us. And I could literally tell you countless stories since of people who have just been kind and generous and loving towards us and expecting nothing in return. And, you know, this is to be part and parcel of everyday life for the Christian, right? This is what we're supposed to do. But if we stop there, we've missed the point. You see, Jesus goes even further. And just to say, I really, really appreciate it when people do nice things for me. Keep doing that, please. I love that. But if we just stop there, we have missed the point. You see, in this passage, Jesus is saying that if we're willing to do that for people in the community of faith, people who who love us and we love, then we should also be prepared to do that for our enemies, those who don't love us. That is life in the kingdom. To do it for everyone, including those who don't like us, including our enemies. But you might say, this is crazy. This is ludicrous. I can't live like this. Who can live like this? This is mad. And what is the motivation for living this way anyway? Well, Luke in this passage gives us two motivations. Firstly, Jesus has shown us God's mercy. We've touched on this before already, but I just want to make very, very clear that Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. Just reflect on this for a moment, that Jesus loves us even when we are enemies. Jesus does good to us and prays for us. Jesus on the cross turned the other cheek and literally gave up his clothes. Jesus didn't condemn us, but he forgives us. Jesus cancelled our debts. On the cross, he says, it is finished. It's done. You can't pay God back. Even your best efforts are simply filthy rags, the Bible says. Jesus is incredibly merciful to us and shows us God's mercy, even when we were dead in our sins. We have to keep this front and centre as our motivation. God is incredibly merciful to you and to I. Secondly, heavenly reward. Luke mentions another motivation to live the kingdom life is heavenly reward. In verses 32 to 34, Luke argues that if you love only those who love you, if you do good to those who do good to you, if you only lend to those who you expect things back from, what credit is that to you? He says that even sinners, those who aren't in the kingdom, do that. He goes on to say in verse 35 that if we love, do good and are generous to those who hate us, our reward will be great. The Bible doesn't shy away from talking about heavenly rewards. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Or you might know the well-known passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, which talks about, Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven. And by the way, this should not cause any believer to fear that they're not going to be with Jesus for eternity. We know from Romans 8 verse 1 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is great news. But on judgment day, we're all going to need to give an account 
for how we have lived our lives. And for the Christian, without doubt, salvation without doubt comes through faith in Jesus. But heavenly reward will be given for obedience to his word. After all, as James says, faith without deeds is dead. And that is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus is appealing to those who are listening and saying, wake up, it's now time to obey. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's not playing any more games. He's saying, you know, a huge crowd has gathered. Many are there just because they've seen the healings. And then Jesus addresses those who are listening and says, this is where the rubber hits the road, people. If you want to follow me, you just can't call me Lord, Lord, but you actually have to do what I say. That's what hit me when I was 13 years old. It's hit me every day since. The kingdom life is one of not just hearing the word, but it's doing what it says. It's not about walking, uh, sorry, it's about walking the walk and not just talking the talk. So I wonder, where are you? Where are you? Are you listening to these words and are you ready to obey? Are you ready to build your life on Jesus and his words? You know, by doing so, you'll be following a very narrow path. It's hard and not many people go down that path. Knowing that the kingdom life is hard, the German theologian, again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says this. It's a brilliant quote. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed a narrow way. To see the weakness and wrong in others and at the same time refrain from judging them to deliver the gospel message without casting pearls before swine is indeed a narrow way. The way it is utterably hard and at every moment we're in danger of straying from it. But if we behold Jesus Christ going on step by step before us, we shall not go astray. If we gaze at the road instead of at him who goes before, we're already straying from the path. For he is himself the way, the narrow way and the straight gate. He and he alone is our journey's end. Jesus calls us by his grace to come and have an intimate relationship with him, to fix our gaze on him, not on the road. And as we do, by his grace, we follow him, are obedient to his word, and we will receive our reward. That, my friends is life in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are the God, the Father of mercy. We're so thankful that you lavish mercy upon us, that you give and you give and you give. And I pray for myself and I pray for those listening today that we too will be merciful, live the merciful life, just as our God, the Heavenly Father, is merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to respond now by singing a song which calls us to commit to living for Jesus and building our lives upon the truth that he loves us and calls us to share that love
with those around us that sing, Build My Life.